The lesson for this morning is from Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Every seventh year you shall grant a remission of debts, and this is the manner of the remission. Every creditor shall remit the claim that is held against a neighbor, not exacting it from a neighbor who is a member of the community, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. If there is among you any in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your needy neighbor. You shall rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, thinking the seventh year, the year of remission, is near, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing. Your neighbor might cry to the Lord against you, and you would incur your guilt. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so, for on this account the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake, since there will never cease to be some in need on earth on the earth. Therefore I command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. The word of our Lord. The gospel is from Luke, the 15th chapter, beginning at the 11th verse. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in destitute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Um, he would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to, have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and the fatted calf and kill it, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For a son of mine was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and now is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of his slaves and asked, What's going on? He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, 
You killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of our Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations in our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you already saw that for the past week, our church has been busy. Busy with children playing games, singing songs, learning complicated dances that were too tough for me, um, and also being immersed in Bible stories, all with the central theme of power up. This is one of the expertise of the Vacation Bible School curriculum writers' um, industry. They take something that kids are interested in and somehow manipulate it to fit some sort of like tie it to the Bible theme in a way to create enthusiasm and energy in our kids. So what better connection than to make than to video games, right? As a parent, I will admit, I didn't really know that this would be a great theme. I, do I really want my kids thinking more about video games than they already are? But nevertheless, here we were. From enthusiastic perspective, it worked. The kids, even the little ones, understood what we were talking about when it came to powering up. They knew what it meant to be powered up in a video game, to get a mushroom in Super Mario Brothers and grow big, or to eat some sort of fruit in a tree in Minecraft and all of a sudden have extra powers or equipment to be able to accomplish all of the things that they need to do. Our theme at Bible school didn't talk about how we're powered up by video games, but instead how we're actually powered up by God. It doesn't come from eating animated mushrooms or apples when we climb trees in the game of Zelda. The power from God is different than the power we receive from a video game. No, it might not seem like a superpower. We're never invincible and can run through any obstacle and just not die. We don't get to fly or swim underwater without any oxygen, as you can sometimes do. But instead, the power we receive from God comes from our identity as God's children. It comes from the fact that God indeed calls us and claims us and then gives us equipment like the Holy Spirit to go out into the world on a very special mission to share God's love and God's mercy with the world around us. You might say that doesn't sound like a superpower, Pastor Joanna. We hear about that every week. But I would argue that being equipped with God's love and God's Holy Spirit, that indeed it is a superpower where we as Christians get to go out in the world and make a difference and transform the community around us. For the past few weeks, we have been talking about Sabbath, how God has commanded us to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And we've talked about why we should remember the Sabbath. And strangely, the Sabbath is one of the more complicated of the commandments. You would think it would be so simple. Go and rest, God says. And yet, if you look at the commandments, it's the longest explanation of why in any of the other ones. God talks about the reasons we need to remember the Sabbath as being because, one, God rested, and we're not God, and therefore we should rest. 
The second reason to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy is because God has freed God's people from the land of Israel. God has helped them from the land of Egypt. God has helped them find liberation. And in remembering the fact that we have been freed, we therefore rest and advocate on behalf of others that everyone gets to rest too. Slaves, servants, anybody who might be considered the least of these, even our animals are told to rest on the Sabbath day. We might argue that Sabbath might be one of the ways we power up, to use our vacation Bible school theme. That in Sabbath we rest and have rejuvenation, and God allows our bodies, minds, and spirits to be like revitalized, re-energized, so we can go back into the workforce and do things more, more vibrantly than we did before, or encounter some of the difficulties of life with patience and perseverance. But today, in our reading from Deuteronomy, we are introduced to an entirely different concept of Sabbath. Sabbath here is no longer about our own rest or even rest for our neighbor. Sabbath is about the forgiveness of debts, a completely different way to power up our community and our world. According to Deuteronomy 15, every seven years is a Sabbath year in which we must go and forgive the debts of our neighbors who are in need. So if you have a neighbor down the street who you've been collecting payments from month after month, year after year, on the Sabbath, seventh year, you are commanded to tear that ledger up, to burn it in the fire and throw it away and let your neighbor know you don't need to make any more payments to me anymore. I will admit, I don't have a lot of loans out in my neighborhood. So when I read about this, I think, well, that doesn't sound so bad. There's not many people coming by in order to pay me, if at, at all. But when I think about it from the other side of things, that if someone were to tear up my own debt, I got to admit, this is a great commandment. Can you imagine if your credit card company called you up and said, here's the deal, it's been seven years, it's all forgiven. I mean, we could get excited about that. Or if the car loan company, or better yet, how about your mortgage company? Seven years, wow! Now, I, if there's bankers in our midst, don't get too nervous. No one ever really does this. <laughs> the idea of Sabbath as a time of forgiveness of our debts is a radical idea. I think there is good reasons that we never hear the very vocal Christians in our country lifting up these verses with protest signs. Can you imagine? Forgive the debts. I just can't see it on the news. It's not going to happen. The reality is that even back in the old days, back when people were actually attempting to live in this way, our Jewish brothers and sisters never actually embraced this idea of Sabbath either. This is actually God's wish for us, God's hope for our community that we might be able to live in a way where we're not overwhelmed by debt, where we have forgiveness of our debts within our own neighborhoods. Well, what would that look like? This past week, I was listening to the radio where they were talking about relieving student loan debt. If you haven't been paying attention, most of our young people get out of college with significant loans today and are overwhelmed by them. It's a real problem facing our community. 
And one of the people on this radio show was talking about an idea of ways to do that. Perhaps we could alleviate or eliminate the loans for anybody who owes more than $50,000. Then at least you have a chance of not living under that burden of loan for a long time. The person interviewing, the person presenting this idea said, well, what about the people who never have a loan in the first place? Is it fair then? And the individual responded that what this is really about when it comes to student loans is equal access to education. That what we want for our community and our world is for everybody to have the opportunity to be able to go to school. That it shouldn't matter how much money you have in the first place or whether or not you can pay for it. In some ways, this idea is not that different than the Sabbath law, the Sabbath rule of forgiveness of debts. Because in this manner, if we were to forgive someone their debts in this way, we would allow them indeed to not continue to be a burden on the community. Instead, after those seven years, they would be released from that financial burden, and it would allow the people to be powered up, if you will, and also to power up our own community by the new investments that they would be able to make. Well, I will admit that this Sabbath idea seems like a lofty goal. It seems too good to be true. But this is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? A promise that is too good to be true. God has done this for us. God has forgiven us not only our sins, but our debts. God claims us with a radical love and an abundant welcome that will never go away. Even when we desire to kind of let it all go, to say, you know what, God, I don't deserve your love. Treat me like a slave or a servant. God continues to proclaim our identity as beloved child, letting us know just like the Father did in our story from Luke, that there is nothing we can do to take away God's love for us. There is no debt too big. There is no sin too drastic. Our God will always come running out to meet us and welcome us home. God will always be there to pronounce that you are my child no matter what, and I love you. As fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we are charged. We are commanded to follow in God's footsteps, to act as God in the world. To not just say God is with you, but actually live that out to care for our neighbor, to pay attention to their needs and their struggles, to do something in order to follow God's example. Oftentimes at Vacation Bible School, the faith that we teach seems pretty individualistic. The curriculum writers are focused on making sure that the kids know that they are loved by God and they are forgiven, and oftentimes that is the end of the story. But that is not the end of our Christian story. It never ends with just us being acclaimed by God's love. It always ends with us raising our arms and reaching them out to others. My favorite line of the theme song this year was, put your hands up. It's time to power up. Lay your worries down. God is with you now. But I would change the second part. They say, put your hands up again. But I think you should say, put your hands out. It's time to power up for the whole wide world to see. Because not only do we put our hands up to reach God, but we put our hands out to our neighbors in order to make sure everybody has what they need and everyone can share in God's amazing love. And that, yes, indeed, we might even share our resources with our neighbors. 
And when we do that, we raise everyone's game. Amen.